top of the morning to you or afternoon or evening, whenever you may be listening. My name is Scotty and welcome to Chip Time. Today is Thursday, August 5th. It is towards the end of Thursday, August 5th, post-work, post-run, but we are getting you the analysis you need and the stories you need to take your personal Olympic torch and continue carrying that through the end of the games. There are still a couple more days of Olympic track and field and marathon running. Can't forget the road races uh, and speed walking for you soccer moms out there. There is good stuff left to happen. We have a little bit of chatter about that and some historic story time later in the show. I'm really excited to tell a, a story, a story here on the program of the first Olympic marathon. But before we get to that, we need to start with the metrics. The people need to know how is the show doing. There is some good and some meh. In terms of good, we are now over 500 streams and downloads. We are at 517 total streams and downloads here on the show. But we only have a total of seven five-star ratings on the Apple Podcast. And I genuinely believe that we can get that number up. And I kind of set a goal in my head of 30. I really feel like I was thinking about, okay, how many ratings would I feel like is a number that would make me feel that we have the resume to potentially share this show with an upper tier runner? And I was like, ah, oh, 100 would be great, but that seems like a really lofty goal. I mean, 50 would be pretty solid too, right? And I was like, you know, 50's good, but like if I saw 40, I would probably think a show is legit. And 30 was about the lowest I could go that I still felt like that is a legitimate operation that these guys are running. So that's the goal. We're only at 7, but the goal is going to be 30. And we are two days away from what I've been calling the chip time five or 10k. Mike and I will be racing a 10k this Saturday morning. Uh, Mike will be doing more racing than me. I'm just going to be kind of bopping along with the aforementioned soccer moms, but I am excited to to be running healthy. Um, really, I've had no Achilles pain since I shut down, since I took time off and iced and recovered and just got away from the grind of mileage. And really the only soreness I've had so far has been a little bit in my right hip flexor, but that's because I was running in some brand new shoes that were not broken in yet. And given the amount of mileage I was doing for what my body is used to right now after this time off, it was probably not the smartest decision to run in newer shoes for that level of volume, but we did it, and uh, it's it's not a big deal. It, my hip flexor is already feeling better today. So overall, on the right trajectory, in being just a little bit over three weeks out from the crim, I feel like I have time to get good quality mileage in, a good base, and be able to go out there and, and give it a whirl for 10 miles. And after you hear the story we tell today, you will know, you people will know, 
that there are no wasted miles, okay? Every mile counts. But there are more Olympic finals left that we just want to circle on the calendar because there are some big ones, all right? Tomorrow, you're probably going to already see the results of these um, before you listen to this, but gosh darn it, I will get this up technically before these final events begin. Tomorrow, Friday morning, there is the women's 1500 meter final, the men's 5000 meter final, and then on Friday evening, we have the women's marathon. Molly Seidel getting out there. Let's go. Saturday morning, Saturdays for the boys, men's 1500 meter final, women's 10K final, and then Saturday night, men's marathon. So Mike and I mention it uh, later in our conversation today, but we're going to be watching that men's 1500 minutes before our 10K goes off. So we're going to be huddled around a phone and seeing how the action shapes up. Can't wait for that. A lot of action to go, and I am kind of just a few hours away in all you know, all, all seriousness, um, I'm kind of burning the midnight oil here, and some of these events are pretty early, but we're doing it for the people. So let's get into my conversation with Mike, and then we'll transition to some historic Olympic story time. Two days off from another race on the summer calendar here for the Chip Time crew. And uh, one of us is not in shape. One of us has not peaked. One of us is on the road to recovery from injury, but feeling good. Felt great to be back out running together. And uh, the other one of us here is in shape, is not fully peaked, but on the path. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. On the path. On the path. Hopefully not a Matt Centrowitz or Emma Coburn peaking a couple of weeks ago hopefully not but we're ready to go so we're gonna talk a little a little bit of race plan just what are we thinking going into this 10k and also just uh you know what what uh tonight and tomorrow are gonna look like in, in preparation for that so since you've been continuing to train mm-hmm. what is what has this week looked like as we're going into this 10k yeah, it's been probably my lowest, well, I'll say one of my lowest mileage weeks of the summer since we started training, you know, a lot um, since early May. So uh, starting to shut it down just to, just a touch, but also, you know, trying to keep the, you know, in full view, you know, the full training block too, and, and looking forward to the crim on the 28th. So I'm not, you know, completely shutting her down, but, um, but also want to be, you know, fresh for Saturday. So... Um, Monday I took off, uh, I did, you know, 12 miler last Saturday and I think you know, six or so on Sunday. So took Monday off Tuesday was a, was a light workout. Um, I did a fart lick three on three minutes on two minutes off. Um, the ons were at about 625 pace. The offs were just North of seven. So just getting some good turnover. Um, but didn't really want to push the envelope. The legs wanted to go, but you know, kind of had to stay back. It wasn't time to race yet. So Yesterday, easy five miler, and then today, the easy about four and a half miler. So, so not a ton of volume this week. 
Um, so feeling good, yeah, going into Saturday. And I personally am of the belief that just about three weeks before an A race is like the perfect time to put in that race effort. You know, a week before, obviously, not a smart idea. (laughs) Two weeks before, some people maybe would, but I really like three weeks out and then you still can get like a quality long run or maybe a slightly reduced long run two weeks before and then you're tapering that week before. Exactly, and that's exactly my thought process, Scotty, in going into to the crim. Three weeks out, it gives us enough time to um, absorb the uh, f- uh, the fitness from this race um, going into the crim three weeks out, but it's also not right on that line like you talked about. We, I still have, you know, two good weeks of training ahead of me before you head into a taper for, for the crim. So um, that's exactly right. That's exactly the, the thought process, I think. Um, you know, when we looked at kind of our race plan for the summer. So a little different for me. Uh, I've just been on that slow road to recovery, but happy to report it's going well. So in terms of my week, not as much uh, entertainment value here as I haven't been doing workouts or anything of that sort. But um, this has been actually my highest mileage since mid-July when I kind of was on the way down and and into taking time off. Um, So I have gotten in, uh, I think like 15 miles this week so far. Uh, And then I'm just gonna take tomorrow off before the 10K Saturday morning. And I've just been going at that steezy pace zone. So I I didn't wanna run, I mean, we ran easy today. Yeah. We we ran very easy today. And you've been, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a heroic effort on paper, but you're doing exactly what's necessary, right? So, And it's hard to rein myself it, in. <laughs> it is. But, I mean, you think back, um, you know, some of the greatest wisdom I've heard, you know, in the sport is, you know, you, you want to get to the to race day and to that starting line, you know, not overtrained. You'd rather be undertrained than overtrained. Um, obviously, that's, um, you know, true with an injury, too. Um, so... I know it's not glamorous on the Strava like we talk about a lot, but um, it's exactly what you know needs to be done at this point. And, and I still want to shout out my Strava following for being just right there with the kudos, even with these four-mile 705 to 720 pace runs. I mean, yesterday, yesterday I got to give myself some credit. Getting out there on a humid summer evening, doing six miles at 720, 11 kudos dude feel yeah. felt great left any lesser of an athlete wouldn't have gotten out and done that they would have looked at the humidity and said ah, no thanks well this athlete just actually didn't check the weather <laughs> <laughs> or you can do that <laughs> and and i think that's a good segue to what we wanted to touch on a little bit which was training in different weather what's the mindset and even between us two what's the most challenging weather and maybe what's the difficult weather that you thrive in. So most recently, we both ran you five miles, me six miles yesterday in that just dead summer humidity that just envelops you and suffocates you. And you you don't feel like you can get enough oxygen in. You can't drink enough water in the world to to really prepare for it. And uh, it's, a, it's a mental battle. I think that's the biggest way I would describe mm-hmm. humid running 
is it is a mental battle where you have to just tell yourself to keep putting one more foot in front of the other. Yeah, and to take your mind off your watch. And, you know, you can kind of throw pace out the window a little bit um, when you take that, the, you know, the humidity with the heat sometimes. I mean, I know you mentioned it didn't rain up near me um, yesterday, so I didn't. I don't think I got as much of that humidity. But after when you go running right after a rain and the sun pops out again and you have that humidity, I mean, yeah, that's, that's enough to, to make you keel over. Um, so, yeah, just kind of taking mental inventory of what the conditions are like and, you know, not putting too much pressure on yourself um, on that day. And hopefully it's a day that you don't have a workout schedule or something. And I think a way we can link that to something I've talked about in the past, your, your pace zones that are kind of effort-based. To your point, you said, like, kind of throw a pace out the window. I think that is something you have to do. Mm-hmm. My... I ran like 720 pace yesterday. That's usually steezy. That was like a steady, like borderline tempo effort. One, because I'm <laughs> low on fitness right now, but I finished that. And like yeah. Strava said my, my heart rate, the final mile was like 181. Like it was, it was getting up there. Yeah. I mean, in, in the, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, I think we talk about this a lot too, is not putting too much stock into one workout. It's not going to make or break you on race day. Um, you know, if you have a workout on a day where the conditions aren't right, you can always reschedule it. So just not putting too much pressure. Again, we're out here having fun. I mean, we want to be competitive at the end of the day, but if it's not fun, then why do it? I feel that. I feel that. But there are other types of weather that are a little more forgiving. I personally would put the humidity as like probably my worst weather mm-hmm. yeah. uh, for workouts or mileage or long runs. It's it's kind of uh, it's kind of killer any way you go. But let's talk about dry heat in the sun a little bit. Early June, uh, maybe late May. For me personally, it is not as bad. Hydration still very important. Very but there's a perk on the other side of that and it is going for that coveted watch tan and that is something i was not able to get in the humidity so i personally uh there is there's still certainly challenges with the heat Mm -hmm. but the dry heat is not as bad effort wise for me yeah i would i would take 90 degrees you know low humidity any day I, i i like that i I like the feeling of, you know, feeling your muscles just warm up and it just get, you know, really elastic almost feeling. Um, I love those runs where it doesn't take much effort to just kind of glide along. You're not sweating every ounce of, um, you know, water out of your body, but, uh, you know, you're still getting a good, good, uh, workout in and, and sweating some. And, um, I, I love those. I, I just love feeling just loose, I guess. Now, switching gears to the other extreme, yeah. the cold, the winter running, which is hard to think of right now in August. Is there a temperature that you cut off as like, I won't run if it's this cold? And what what is kind of the most challenging winter running scenario for you? I've become more of a wimp. As I've gotten older, I mean, I think back to college where I would run in 10, 15 degree weather with shorts on and and potentially no gloves. 
Yeah, I've done it. I've I, I ran. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. I don't know how I did it either because now it's if it's forty five degrees, I have gloves on, and maybe that's the the price I paid for what, doing Wesley, that. Wesley Kip to gloves, Man, every race. But I, I would say comfortably twenty five and above. If it's if it's, I mean, the past couple of years I've run where it's been zero degrees out Fahrenheit, and it's just not fun. It's just got the treadmill I, I you know set the ipad up put a show on or watch a, a football game and it's it's a lot more enjoyable so mentally i just haven't been as mentally strong to uh to bear the elements uh here in these michigan winters um so i mean comfortably 25 and above tights you know 30 and below um yeah if it's 20 i mean i it's got to be with you or, or someone. I got to have a training partner because I'm just not going to do it outside. I have a very hard and fast scientific rule. You know this. If the birds are chirping, I'm not wearing tights. Yep. If the birds are not chirping, I'm wearing tights. However, I have a little more of that uh, that blubber, I guess you could say. Um, a little more of that buffalo skin for, for the Michigan winters. You're just buff. And, Not buffalo. You're just you know, buff. Kind of got jacked in this uh, injury cycle, but <laughs> I I don't mind going out there in the winters. Now I don't usually run outside during the week because it gets dark so soon. Mm-hmm. But on a Saturday or a Sunday morning, I like getting out there as long as the footing is reasonable. It's salted or paved, and I noticed this year. I got some of my best winter training in than, you, than I had went, in years. You, yeah, you went hard in the paint this winter. And I was, you know, usually getting around a 12-mile long run, and some of those times it was 10 degrees. Yeah. No. But I did it with a group. And I think you mentioned that it's so much easier to train in the winter when you do have the strength of the wolf is you're the go- pack. You're going. That's what we say in Northwood. Exactly. You're going slower. It's cold out. Um, you're not in shape or as in great a shape as you were in the summer. It's just, I'm more of a 405 NFL kickoff. Let's go down on the treadmill. Tony Romo's high pitched voice. Throw, throw the game at his little, yeah, he's gravelly. He's just, he's just screamed for three hours before his pregame, uh, warm up. Uh, that's an aside. Um, but yeah, I just, I just get too comfortable with it in the winter, man. I turn, I'm going to be one of those that, that goes to Florida when I get older. Yeah, every winter. That's not me. That's not me. But I gotta gotta ask you the big question now. Do you have a certain temperature or maybe a slight range that you consider perfect running weather? What is that sweet spot? Okay. I, I think there's two definitions here. There's a race day perfect weather and there's a just training run perfect weather here. So Race day perfect weather, I would say, I would say anywhere from 55 to 60 degrees, 60 on the upper end of that. That's, I think that's perfect for me. Um, maybe even 50, I would say, because you're not going to sweat as easily. Um, but I'm just thinking about like what I like ideal conditions for the crim. I think is, you know, if I see 62 on the forecast, I mean, I'm, I'm jubilant. If I see 70, 72 with a little bit of humidity, you know, I'm starting to, uh, okay, maybe That's about we, what my Indianapolis half was, man, and it felt hot. Maybe we need to maybe readjust uh, race plans a little bit or, you know, rethink the shirt or, or whatever we need to do. 
to uh, to, to adjust. But a regular training run, um, I would say anywhere between um, 65 and 75 uh, is, is perfect for me. Um, you know, throw on a, a singlet or, you know, go no shirt and or, or even a t-shirt if it's down in 65. I mean, that's, that's perfect for me. Well, I'm going to say easy with that 75 that that's a little toasty I like for the me heat, man i like it but I, I like the two different definitions i also have two two different weather points but it's a little different than just race versus training okay i have one for my longer distances i'd say 5k and up fair just... five 5k through marathon uh spot on with what you said 55 to 60 is perfect preferably not windy uh maybe partly cloudy i feel like that's mm -hmm. a good mm -hmm. a good view in the sky i right. guess you could say but i think back to when i ran my prs on the track for the 800 in the 1500 those shorter middle distances i liked it to be 65 to like we'll say 69 that that's about spot on with a nice blue sky so no humidity mm -hmm. still not really wanting the wind especially on the track but being able to have a slightly higher body temperature at the start line was butter for those middle distances so are you a uh, 65 to 69 in the spring or the fall preferably in the spring okay you know fall running i really like that 50 to 60 range oh, that you beautiful. laid out it's awesome man watching the leaves fall you know, football's in the air. You got a little cool breeze, little Christmas crispness in the air. You it's... get the flannel shirts out. Oh, man. Apple cider. You can't beat it. I can't wait. That's man. my favorite season. I love the tweener seasons, spring and fall. You really can't beat them. But I will say, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We still have a little bit of Olympics. We still have a couple more days of track and field. And I just got to hit you with this as we kind of wrap up. What are you most looking forward to? And I'll give you a two-part question. Okay. Uh, we'll start here. What's been your favorite moment so far? Man, it's hard to argue against Grant's fifth-place finish in the 10K. I mean, that was, that was awesome. Um, I mean, I'm a huge Sydney McLaughlin fan. So watching her break the world record in the hurdles was uh, that was that was a cool moment. Um, I would say, I mean, it's going to be all track and field for me. So uh, yeah, Grant's fifth fifth place. I mean, that was that was that was pretty cool. The hometown kid, you know, showing out for a city. Um, yeah. What about you, Scotty? I mean, I would have to copy you pretty much. That that was amazing. So just to pick one different one, Courtney Frerich Silver mm -hmm. in, in the steeple, the way she took that race, the way 1,000 meters into it, she said, I'm injecting pace right now. I'm not waiting for this to come down to a bell lap or even the last kilometer. And to break world-class athletes the way she did and to hold on for Silver. Because mm -hmm. if there was another 100 meters, she would be in bronze territory. She ran just a brave, complete race, peaked at the perfect time. That's been my favorite non-Grant moment. Perfect. Love it. What are you looking forward to the most as we get into men's and women's marathon, women's 10K, men's and women's 1500, and men's 5K? 
all the above. That's Eat? what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, gosh, I, I I'm really looking forward to the men's 5K. Um, so we're we're uh, recording this on Thursday. I'll make um, sure to get it up before. Yeah, so it's so men's 5K is tomorrow morning at eight. Um, man, I, I'm look really looking forward to that. 1500 is going to be a ball. The marathon's like the thing that has not been talked about at all. It's mm-hmm. like, what kind of shape is Galen Rupp in? So we've talked some women's marathon on the show here, but the the big media outlets don't give you that kind of analysis. Women's, I mean, yeah, the women's race are gonna be great. I just, yeah, uh, you know how. I, probably, probably five k for you. It's gonna have to be five k, yeah. But I, I also am a Hawker fanboy, and I'm yeah. the first to say it. So, I mean, that 1500 is going to be a riot. I'm with you on that. I think what what I have is it's kind of a, almost a trick answer because it's it spans multiple events. Will Safan Hassan be able to do the treble? Um, she's already gotten gold in the um, – that was the 5K, right? Yep. So she's already gotten gold in the 5K. She's made it to the final in the 1500 despite falling in the prelim 12 hours before. Yeah, she came back and won it and then won the 5K 12 hours later. And she's also going for the 10K. So that will be interesting. Tomorrow morning we have her in the 15. And then just about 24 hours later will be that 10K. It doesn't line up. I mean, with the men's 10K at the front end of the games and the women's 10K at the end, I mean, you know, something's got to give. But I kind of feel bad for her um, given that the the men's – eh, you would have 5K 1500 very close, right? But I don't know. Pick your poison, I guess. I don't know We'll see what she can do. We will see. And if anyone could do it. It would probably be her. World class. So, we'll see. I, I wouldn't even say I'm rooting for her, per se. I mean, I'm rooting for Emily Sisson in the 10K. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in, in this 1500. I think the, the variability of that one, um, plus Faith Kipiagan has been on fire this year. Um, I think she's, she's probably the favorite for this 1500 for the women. But like you said, we're, we're raring to go for these events and uh, it's been, at least from my perspective, it's been kind of cool having these finals in the morning. <laughs> it gets me out of bed, I can like, tell you that much. <laughs> we just we just started messaging each other at work, like, as Did soon as... you see as, that? And it's like, it's, it is just a great way to start the day. And I'm glad it's not at, like, 3 a.m., right. which if we were on Pacific time, I mean, these finals would be at, like, 5 a.m. Right, because, I mean, we do have, like... Um, the 400, the women's 400 uh, hurdle final was at 10:30 at night. Um, we had the what? Uh, was it the men's 110 hurdles at 10:55 last night? Mm-hmm. So, so it, you know, it kind of spans your whole day, but it, but it is cool. It kind of bookends your day, and um, yeah, and and I, I think we talked about too. We're planning to watch the men's 1500 meter final uh, Saturday morning before we tow the line. Oh yeah. I don't think we mentioned it on the mic here, right. but we, our race, our 10 K race gun goes off at 8 AM sharp on August 7th. The men's 1500 final is 20 minutes before that. So if this is the typical three and a half to four minute race, we're going to be watching it before we get <laughs> up to the start. 
on a on a phone. <laughs> That's gonna be awesome. So I'm fired up for that. Uh, can you imagine? I mean, if if hacker medals, I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the parking lot just USA USA. We're it's gonna be a rally cry. I will say this: if Cole Hawker wins the gold medal, I am throwing out my plan <gasps> oh, of man. running conservatively and just focusing on coming back from this injury. If if he wins the gold medal, I will go out in a sub six. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> and then I'll crash and burn. I'll, I'll shift Make sure the... you check Strava around 9.30 or 9 o'clock on uh, Saturday morning. Boy, I don't know if I'm uploading if that happens. <laughs> but I'm excited for these Olympic finals and, of course, for our race. So it's going to be a great weekend of racing locally yeah. and in Tokyo. Can't wait for that. It's been, uh, what, two months since we've since we've last uh, raced. So. It has been. It has been. Getting that itch again. So getting that itch, getting a little bit of racing in before the big one in a few weeks. And uh, thanks again for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I, I love to be the stand-in, plug-and-play, whenever you don't have someone cool to join. So, You know what? Yeah, couldn't get my mom tonight. I know my role. But uh, I'll see you at the start line. See ya. I am genuinely fired up right here. I know I may sound composed, but between that conversation, getting hyped for Olympics, getting hyped for our race, and also what we're about to do now, tell a little bit of history. It's an interesting spin on the runners you need to know segment because this is a runner that outside of Greece... Probably the majority of people do not know his name, but the story behind this is so unique, it's so different from today's day and age of Strava and the media and coverage of these Olympic athletes and knowing how they train and knowing who they are before the events unfold. It's so, so different. But also, it comes with a theme that we, as local runners, can connect to. So our story today takes place 125 years ago. In 1896, the first ever Olympic marathon. So there was kind of, you know, in, in earlier history, there were the Olympics with Rome and I didn't do any research on that stuff, but I think they like jousted people and they did like uh, eating mutton contests. And I'm, this is probably not very historically accurate. But what I do know is the 1896 Olympics were one of the first, or, or perhaps it was known as the first modern Olympics. So it somewhat resembled what we have on screen on NBC with Mike Tirico today. A little bit different, but it's closer than the old jousting days. So our hero today is a man by the name of Spiridon Lewis. Spiridon Lewis. And he came from a poor family. He was a he was the son of a water barreler. So in those days, you didn't have 
the water lines to your house where you had clean water flowing through and coming out of a sink, you had to purchase barrels of water and you would use that for bathing and cleaning your animals and washing your feet. There's a lot of use for it, cooking your meals. And so it was a pretty important business. However, it was not a very profitable business. So Lewis did come from a poor family. And because of that, uh, his father, who was kind of the figurehead of the business, he needed Lewis's help every day. So with them being poor, um, they only had really room for one person, his father, to be riding on the mule that carried the cart that carried the water barrels. So there's a mule. Mr. Lewis is on it. The mule is is uh, towing, I guess you could say, a cart full of water barrels. And they went from the Greek province of Marusi to Athens. They went south to Athens, which was about an eight-mile trip. They went there and back every single day. So uh, Lewis, around age 18, started accompanying his father. He needed His dad needed that help to unload the barrels. And like I said, because they couldn't afford any more livestock, Lewis would run next to the mule. So he would run eight miles to Athens. They would unload the barrels and then he would run back next to the mule. And the return journey would be even faster because the mules weren't, or the mule, singular, the mule wasn't towing full barrels of water anymore. So it had a lighter uh, a lighter carriage to it. And so he would, be, he would have to go at a faster pace to get back to Marusi. So this occurred for quite a while. Uh, also with them being a poor family, Lewis was not able to afford a formal education. So he continued to be part of the family business. And, and when I say every day, it was every day of every year. And that was the route. So it was 16 miles a day, every single day, not a very fast journey per se, but Lewis was running about 16 miles per day, uh, every day as an 18 year old. And this continued for about six years. All right. So in 1896, Lewis is 24 years old and he's been logging a lot of miles, not fast miles, not an incredible training regiment that was drawn up by a Hall of Fame coach, but he's been logging miles. And Athens, Greece is hosting these Olympic Games. And they're not expected to be able to compete with the overseas countries at the short track events. So in this time, they had sprints, they had an 800 meters, they had a 1500 meters, but they had nothing longer than that besides this new event called the marathon. So in this case, it's kind of this unknown event, what's going to happen, who's going to be good at it, but the overseas athletes are looked at as being probably the favorites in all of these running events. 
So what do they do? They said, you know what? We are Athens, Greece. Gosh darn it. We want a gold medal at the Olympic Games that we're hosting. We want a running gold medal. So they commission a man from their military to host trials to to find the best athletes to compete for Greece. And his name was Colonel Papadiamantopoulos. And he invites 38 Greek men to compete in two different trials. So to my understanding, it was just two different races. It wasn't like you had to do two different marathon trials. But he held two different uh, marathon trials for a total of 38 Greek athletes. And 13 were selected. So approximately 20 per field. And in the second trial, Lewis took place and finished fifth. And this was really his first time in any sort of competitive running. Um, like I said, he, he didn't have formal education and he really just worked in the family business. So it's not like he was known for athletics or really for, for any um, type of notoriety like that. He actually was just identified by the colonel as someone who had potential. So he gets fifth in his trial, and he's selected to the team with a total of 13 Greeks, and then they had the four overseas track stars. So there's 17 men in this marathon. And here's the thing. Just like I mentioned at the top of the show, we have the women's and men's Olympic marathons this weekend. They're two of the last Events, most of the shorter events, most of the track and field athletics events take place earlier on, okay? And it was the same in 1896. And in every single track race, the foreign runners swept the medals, including the 1500 meters, which was the longest race on the track. And I read that and I said, wait a second. I was a 1500 meter. Are you telling me I was a long distance guy at heart? You learn something new every day. So the foreign runners sweep the medals in the 1500 and they're getting a little cocky. They're getting a little cocky about it. And they are now expecting to sweep the marathon as well. So it's looking like in these running events, Greece is getting kind of embarrassed. Like they're losing on their home turf in their home stadium. Their royalty is having to watch them lose in all these events. And the marathon is really their last hope. But like I said, this was the first marathon. And nothing over 1,500 meters had been run yet. So it really was a big question mark. So we have the 17 contenders, 13 from Greek, from Greece, four overseas. The race begins on a dusty road in Athens. And about nine miles in, it is one of the foreigners, the Frenchman, who has a huge lead. I mean, nine miles in, that's a lot of running people. That's not just uh, an easy Sunday jog, but it's not even close to the 26.2 we've come to know and love. So 
He's leading huge lead with nine miles into the race. He ends up kind of coughing it up over time. And around mile 16, he cramps up really bad and drops out of the race. There's another foreigner who was in second at the time. This is the Australian, Teddy Flack, the Aussie, who won gold in both the 800 and the 1500. And he was the favorite to win this marathon too. So the Aussie takes the lead at the 16-mile mark and leads through 18 miles. This is getting a little deeper in the race. But guess what? There are two Greek men who had been minutes behind at the half marathon mark. They had been pretty dang far behind, and they began to close between mile 16 and mile 18. One of them is Karolaus Vasilakos, the winner of the first Greek trial. And he was the local favorite. So the Greek people who said this marathon is our best chance at a gold medal on our home turf in Athens. We think Vasilakos is going to be the guy to do it. And he's in the race. He's moving up. Eh, but he's not alone. Lewis is with him. And he's he's an unknown. He's not really known by royalty or anyone else. He just kind of placed all right in his trial. And he was basically just taking the pace that Vasilakos was setting. Because Vasilakos had more racing experience. But I think I mentioned it earlier, that that Olympic trial was Lewis's first competitive race ever. Outside of the mileage he got running next to a mule for his family business. So there's eight miles to go at this point. Mile 18 and... Guess what? He's used to running eight miles two ways every single day. So he's been mentally in this race and he gets to that checkpoint of, wait a second, all I have left is the part of the race where I used to, where I usually speed up because the mule doesn't have the heavy cargo. Oh, okay. So Lewis steadily moves up past his fellow Greek and soon after that he catches the Aussie and takes the lead around mile 20 and doesn't look back from there. He steadily increases his pace the last four miles. And here's a heartwarming part of it. He was given orange slices by his fiance, Eleni. He was given orange slices, the, the nectar of the gods, as they say in the youth soccer world. And as he rounded the final turn, Lewis comes into eyesight of the Olympic Stadium and a nearby cyclist spots him and begins shouting, Greek! Greek! Because they're finally, finally going to bring a gold medal back to Athens. The crowd goes wild and Lewis, this unknown son of a water barreler, is crowned the first Olympic gold medalist in the marathon goes from being a complete unknown to an Olympic champion. And legend has it that even today, 125 years later, in Greece, people will yell to their youngsters out in the field, run like Lewis. 
So Lewis is an absolute legend, and we, people, we can learn from this guy. I really think there is a lesson to be learned for, for how this guy was successful, and that is that there is no such thing as garbage miles or junk miles. He won this race because his body had the aerobic base and because his legs had the mileage needed and the familiarity of the running, running really in all conditions because he did that route all year round and the other athletes didn't have that. So what is so fascinating is this man, Spirit on Lewis, a poor son of a water barreler, he had no coach. He had no special diet, and he had no race experience outside of the Olympic trials race. And looking back, I'm like, you know what? He got fifth place in that trial race, probably because he just didn't really know his body's limits. He probably finished that race and was like, oh, I can probably start going faster sooner. But he had the heart. He had a reason that he wanted to be successful, and he had the mileage in the legs. So this really, as I'm kind of coming out of injury myself, this is a great story that I needed to hear and needed to tell because it's so easy to convince ourselves that we need to be going fast, that we need to be going faster than we did last week, or else we're not getting better. And while I'm not trying to issue an invitation to just run slow every day, or to start running 16 miles every day, it's a great reminder that when you're putting in consistent mileage of any kind, steezy, easy, steady, but the main common thread has to be consistent. When you are putting in that consistent mileage, it is going to your benefit. Your heart rate is getting lower. Your fitness is getting higher. Your legs are getting stronger. And your mentality is getting sharper. It is happening over time. You have to believe in the process. So let's run like Lewis. Let's do it. So as we wrap up the show... A couple shout-outs on our way out. Number one, and it's weird to pivot from uh, the 1896 Olympics to the uh, 2021, but I have to shout-out Elaine Thompson first. Elaine Thompson, hurrah, of Jamaica. She won gold in the 200 meters with a new Olympic record, completing the double, the 100-meter and 200-meter double, and defending her gold medal from the 2016 Olympics in the 200. Shout out to her. She's had some injuries over the years between the Olympic Games, uh, the prior Olympic Games, and these Olympic Games. But guess what? She peaked at the right time in both years, and that is what will be remembered. My other shout out is to a male sprinter, Andre de Grasse of Canada. Man, it felt good to see de Grasse get that gold medal in the 200 because he's been right on the cusp in both the 100 and the 200 since 2016 as well, when he was only 21 years old. 
he finished bronze, uh, or he finished silver behind Bolt. Excuse me, he finished silver behind Bolt in the 200 in uh, in Rio five years ago, and he's been a medalist in multiple world championships. He was the bronze medalist in this year's hundred, and everyone's saying, "Man, I feel for Degrasse. He's always silver or bronze. He's always just behind somebody else." And he beats Kenny Bednarik, and he beats Noah Lyles with that impeccable arm swing he's got. He's got the hands in like karate chop fashion. He's moving up the home stretch that last hundred and wins the gold medal with a lifetime best. Shares a moment over the video camera with his kids and his wife afterwards. It was a great moment. It was a great moment. So shout out to Andre de Grasse. And you know what's interesting about him? is I watch a decent amount of Diamond League, and he doesn't really run that well in the Diamond League. Like, he's not getting last, but it's not like he wins all his races. Noah Lyles wins pretty much all his races in the Diamond League. Trayvon Brumel, same thing. But DeGrasse is kind of like just there. But when he puts on that Canada singlet, he turns into a completely different runner in both the relays and, as you saw the other day, the individuals. So shout out to him. He's the same age as me. So big win for the 26-year-olds of the world and uh, glad to see him finally get a gold medal. So as we're on our way out, just a couple reminders here. Chip Time Book Club. Chip Time Book Club. Looking at around two and a half weeks maybe three at the most, to complete the Ultra Marathon Man book. Let me tell you, that is plenty of time. If you haven't even picked up this book yet, you have time to pick it up and read it. I have only sat down on two different occasions from 30 minutes to an hour each, and I'm a quarter of the way through the book. I'm not a speed reader, but it keeps moving along, and it's very digestible. So I think we're going to enjoy uh, walking through that book together towards the end of this month. Also, chiptimepod at gmail.com, chiptimepod at gmail.com. Email me your predictions, any topics you want to hear about on the show, or any general, uh, general thoughts, whether it's about races coming up or the Olympics or about uh, any local races that you think the people need to know about. Also, if you could leave ratings and reviews, just a reminder for that for Apple Podcasts. But I want to thank everybody for listening. We are going to have a lot more Olympic talk when the games are over. I want to do a winners and losers. I want to do my ideas for what could make the Olympics better. And I got some good ones, let me tell you. So we're going to go over my predictions too, how we do in the 1500, but wanted today to be a little more for the local runner, both for uh, looking at the 10K Mike and I have coming up and also learning some history about a local runner just like me and you who went on to become an Olympic champion. So I'm actually going to change my outro a little bit and just say, instead of keep working hard, I'm going to say, run like Lewis and we'll see you next time.